Welcome back. You're watching Stock Picks, and today we unpack process of British American tobacco and Nitke, and that's with the vessel you buy from Oyster Catcher Investments. In our education segment, we'll shed some light on the impact of regulations on various companies. Vessel, always a pleasure, and a good afternoon to you. Oh, thank you for having me. Okay, I kind of know why you chose these counters, but maybe shed a light briefly on why we've gone in this direction today. Yeah, so I mean, we've we've discussed a lot of the companies before mm -hmm. separately. Um, Netcare in the healthcare space, Process, I think with Process, Naspers, Tencent, kind of stable and the offshore stables, and British American Tobacco kind of falling into into staples as well as the offshore stables. Mm -hmm. um, but the one common theme that they all share currently is actually regulation changes, mm -hmm. and it's not something that we often speak about, um, but. To, it can have a very, very adverse impact on the investment case for a lot of these companies. Let's start off by speaking about a process, or process, Natmas process, uh, because I mean that's been in the news uh, quite a bit lately. Keen to get your thoughts on this counter, but also uh, that environment uh, that you make reference to. Yeah. So for just the, the basic business case of process is still basically ten cent. Uh, it's the biggest asset within within the process table. They've recently done away with a very, very complex structure in a very, very complex way, but the structure is now gone. Um, and now it's very simple. Process owns Tencent and Process owns a couple of delivery assets and a couple of other unlisted and listed assets. Uh, but I think roughly 80% of the value still sits in Tencent. Within that, when you look at just the Tencent share price um, relative to the the process share price or the value of 10 cent within the value of process. Process trades at the discount to 10 cent, right? So they have this open-ended buyback where they sell a, a, pro, a 10 cent share and depending on where the value is, they will buy back roughly 1.2 uh, process shares or value-wise 1.2 rands of process shares per 10 cent share sold. So that effectively unlocks value and it creates value. Now, what has, recent, uh, what has happened recently, and that's where the regula regulation change comes in. When they started that open-ended buyback, the discount pulled back immensely. So that discount went from, I think, around about 50% or 30% wherever it was, and it basically halved. So there was a nice big gain for investors. Um, what happened last week Thursday is in the Netherlands, uh, when process is listed, they passed a in the lower house, so that has to be said, it still has to go to the Senate and then it has to get approved by the finance minister. But for the first step effectively got passed that they will have or implement a 15% buyback tax, which effectively means that you will be paying 15% tax on all the buybacks that you do. Now that is roughly just to equal the dividend tax and it's for government to to generate additional taxes and to close a loophole where companies would rather just do a buyback instead of a pay out a dividend because the taxes was or it was a more efficient structure. That effectively puts a bit of pressure on this this investment case closing the discount for, for process. It's probably not permanent. It still has to go through, but that puts that whole investment case on the at risk. So I think a uh, vessel, I mean this is very interesting because obviously it's a very new development here. Uh, one thing I think is also interesting about process is then, you know, just how much value the company may be able to uh, have in future as well from a shareholder perspective. Because outside of Tencent, the other assets, Vessel, they're not profit-making assets. 
Uh, so maybe mm. let's also talk about that from an, invest from an investor. Not only do you have to now look at the, contend with this changing regulatory environment, but the rest of process, what is in there and why is it not profit making? Yeah, so the, the largest assets in there are food delivery assets, payment assets, or and payment assets, pay you in India is a very big asset in there. And then delivery euro, um, I think you might have heard of before. These assets are, number one, very difficult to value because, as you mentioned, they're not profitable. They are targeting profitability now, and there's different levels that they're targeting. So they're targeting accounting profitability and EBITDA profitability and cash um, cash flow break even. So a bunch of different levels there. The one, when you look at these companies, and I suppose it's the way that I look at it, when you look at food delivery specifically, when you have a successful business, it usually creates value for all parties involved, for the consumer, for the businesses that use your product, uh, for the employees of the company, all of that. When you look at food delivery, it does work in certain areas, but it isn't as scalable as people might think. Mm. So when you look at or just take a basic food delivery um, scooter in South Africa, mm. you think about it, a lot of those guys don't have medical aid, they don't have proper uh, benefits and so on, um, and often they're not that well paid. So a lot of these companies get past uh, minimum wages and so on, they are, they are closing those loopholes. Um, but effectively, the, the company, i.e. a delivery hero or an Uber Eats, as an example, will charge the restaurant or put a markup on the restaurant's prices or force the restaurant to sell to them at a slightly lower price. They will then have to force the scooter delivery guy um, to take X percentage, uh, which is usually a slightly smaller amount than they would. And they compensate for that smaller amount by not taking out medical aid or normal insurance. Um, and then effectively the, the food delivery holding company makes their profit. Those are usually not long-term sustainable businesses unless you find a way for all the parties within that, mm. that call it, value chain to win. Um, and that is the one issue there. The second issue on the payments business, I think the payments businesses are a lot more economically viable, uh, but they haven't found proper ways to monetize those assets. Mm. That is the, the biggest question there. Will they actually be able to turn profit in those? Very interesting. I think especially uh, these regulatory changes here. Let's speak now about uh, British American Tobacco because they're in a similar uh, situation there. And I guess that's all of it is driven by the fact that cigarettes are a cash cow, except people like cigarettes a whole lot less now. <laughs> yeah. So the, the cigarette business is in structural, structural decline mm -hmm. uh, over the long term. Uh, global cigarettes volumes go down roughly two, two and a half percent per year, but they've got a lot of pricing power, right? So they just put up prices a little bit more, which effectively means their revenue can still grow. What has happened recently in terms of regulation, uh, and those were noises made by the Prime Minister in the UK, is that they want to implement a generational tax. Now, to give you an idea, it's not a UK isn't a very big portion of British American tobacco's uh, market. But a generational tax effectively works in a way where it says anybody born after a certain date will never smoke. So they will set the smoking age, minimum smoking age at 18. Next year, it will progress to 19, thereafter 20, and increase per year. So it's been implemented in New Zealand. It's a very effective tax. Um, if you think about it, 
because you give the tobacco companies a lot of time to adjust their business model. Uh, a lot of the current smokers don't have to quit smoking. They can continue smoking and they will be able to smoke for the rest of their life. But you're also slowly phasing it up. And the, the government also doesn't lose out because they're still generating tax and they can budget to reduce that tax slowly but surely over the next 20 or 30 years or so. So it's a very clever way of implementing the tax. I think uh, BTI has been a poster child for, for regulation because there's regulation in almost the, every one of their markets. Um, biggest regulatory changes recently have been menthol. They're looking at menthol bans in the US. Uh, that was supposed to come out about, about a month ago. We still haven't heard anything from that. They are looking at longer-term potential tobacco bans. There's been flavored bans on vaping. But the companies are transitioning, the cigarette companies are transitioning to new generational products, which are supposed to be safer than your traditional smoking. But a, a, a regulation change in these types of industries, contrary to like a process change, right. is a permanent change you will permanently not be able to service that part of the population or you will permanently pay a higher tax. Whereas with a, a process, as an example, if they do implement that tax, you can effectively increase the discount by 15%. The discount will widen by that 15%. It will be a quick once-off adjustment, and that's where the new discount will trade at. So any new investors coming in will have a clear kind of view of what the what the impact is with regulatory changes like British American tobacco it takes a long time to implement and it might grow from there it never sticks if I put it that way sure it sounds like a uh, very tricky times ahead of for BAT another company uh, which may experience some tricky times ahead pure hospital play uh, which is how I see it in the South African uh, landscape is in net care let's talk about this uh, counter vessel yeah, very true. So Netcare's regulatory changes or regulatory risk has been, I want to say, slightly older than the other two. It's been there for a while. But it has caused a significant overhang in the multiple that they trade at uh, because there is this kind of overhanging risk. Now, the risk for them is national health insurance. It does look like within government, there's a lot of parties that really want to implement this. It's very good for your voter base. Uh, unfortunately, from national treasury side, they say we can't afford it. So there's uncertainty if this is going to happen. Usually what will happen, you'll get a lot of noise around this, especially leading up to an election, and then it dies down post the election again. Um, as it becomes, I suppose, clear that we can't really afford this. But if it, if it does get implemented, this is a permanent, and there's different ways in which it can, can get implemented and so on, but it will effectively impact the business case for a, and net care permanently going forward. Mm. Because effectively what will happen, you will have government determining the price at which each, each procedure can happen. They will be the single determining participant in that price, um, and they will set the prices for, for all the hospital groups. The idea will then be for hospital groups to get additional volume, mm. but you will also, it's, it's a tough sell because NHI hasn't ever worked. It failed in Ghana, it failed in Nigeria. Um, there's a, a case study in Mexico where it sort of worked. That's debatable to what extent. Um, but it's, it doesn't work out well for the profitability of the hospital groups in the long term, Lisa, in its current form. 
should a company like Netcare be looking at diversification? I think that's the first thing that comes to my mind is, um, of course, keep the hospitals because that's the foundation of the company. But like Life Healthcare, look abroad, uh, look to other assets uh, to possibly uh, wear out the risk. It could be easier for Netcare than for maybe Process and uh, BTI. Yeah, so the hospital groups in SA are looking at diversifying outside of their, their core. Uh, they're looking quite a lot into oncology as an example, a couple of day clinics. Um, it doesn't sound like a lot of diversification, but these are things that will sit outside of NHI's scope. Sure. So they are looking at it. Unfortunately, these segments are a lot smaller and it will take time for these hospital groups to build their business outside of that. They're also looking at mental health, um, which is a very, very fast-growing market, especially post-COVID. Um, they are looking at radiology and a couple of other practices as well. I would think a company like Netcare is a lot like the education stocks, the Advertech and the Cures, that the demand just kind of take, takes care of itself. And that should be the case, Vessel. But we actually haven't seen these stocks kind of get the attention and the boost uh, that we've seen those education uh, stocks get. And healthcare and education, in my mind, are equally important. Uh, what could be the cause for that, for us not seeing a boom in our healthcare uh, uh, stocks? Yeah, you're 100% right. Um, in our minds, they're equally important as well. Where you have seen a slight divergence is the there are a lot of the private healthcare space is uh, private education space is taking effectively market share away from the public space because you had quite a good public education. Um, sector, call it a couple of years back, that has been deteriorating quite quickly. So you've had kind of a market share gain in the private education space, i.e. the private education space um, consumer base has been growing. Whereas with the hospital groups, you've had a quite bad uh, public health care space for a while now. Um, a lot of the guys who could afford private medical aid have had or has been on it for quite a while now, and we've seen a very stagnant medical aid uh, subscriber base, if you want to call it that, which means your medical aid or insured population isn't growing, meaning there's no more new business or new clients coming into the hospitals, which is the biggest issue. And then for the hospital groups, because you're not getting the volume growth, the costs are still increasing. Medical inflation is running slightly ahead of CPI, yet your purchases are the medical aids who have been pushing down prices as much as possible. So you've got a handful of purchases of your, of your services effectively who have a bit of bargaining power. If you want to gain a contract, you have to bid at a lower price than your peers. So it's been a bit of a, it's been a very, very tough space for them. Um, that being said, the multiples aren't that, aren't that stretched. So the companies aren't actually that expensive. Well, we've, we've spoken about these three, and of course, these changes are uh, still on the way. They're in the, pro in, in the process, I guess, of coming together. But let's rank these for a retail investor who is still keen to look at, because I think these are all really solid companies, uh, even the first two specifically, you know, Process and BTI. In what order, Vessel, would you, uh, you know, buy these counters? It's a very difficult question, right? <laughs> Comparing all these different companies mm. with their different risks. Mm. And I do think, I do actually think all of them are attractive at these levels. Mm -hmm. um, if you had to ask me to rank them on our numbers, British American Tobacco, um, it's actually Process, British American Tobacco, and then Netcare in that order. Uh, ranking them on our estimated four year returns, highest to lowest. Um, and they all do look attractive. I mean, the, the Process one is a little bit 
determine or does hang on China's economics, uh, which is a difficult thing to determine. If there's going to be stimulus in China, it's going to do very, very well. Uh, BTI, I think, is your most stable play. Uh, we think they're very, very good at handling these regulations. They're very good at implementing them. And they're very good at pivoting their business into the new kind of era. And they are also very cash generative. They pay a high dividend yield. So it's a nice business. And then you get to to Netcare. We don't think NHI is going to get implemented. So we do think that overhang is a little bit aggressive. Um, but they are also very cash generative. Their debt is reducing very fast. They potentially have the ability to pay out a higher dividend. Uh, the growth might not be great. That's the only caveat to that. Of course, Faisal, we have our education segment here. So I'm keen to find out from a retail investor perspective, how should mm -hmm. we be thinking of uh, these regulatory uh, changes that are uh, imminent, uh, more for the first two, like you said, than the last one? Yeah, I mean, so, so you get different sets of regulations in all these different companies, right? In different areas, all the way from tax regulation to healthcare regulation that might even support a company. Um, it's very important to determine how the regulation is going to impact the company. If it's going to be a permanent headwind to growth, which is the worst you can get, um, is it going to be a once-off impact, a quick adjustment, and the company is going to just do business going forward like a quick tax change? You can model the tax change. It's going to be a once-off adjustment, and everybody's going to have it into their numbers, which is an easy one to do. Or is it going to be a – you can also get a regulatory – change that is a tailwind. Uh, we've seen that in some of the hearing aid companies in the US where they made it possible for you to purchase over-the-counter hearing aids. And all of a sudden, all the companies with over-the-counter hearing aids had a, I think about a thousand percent increase in a single month in their sales because it was very detrimental or very uh, big price change just because of that regulatory change. So it's very important to determine the longer-term impact of the regulation on the company. And the, lead, the lower the impact, um, the better the investment opportunity usually. Because regulation makes it into the news and it makes it into the headlines quite often, it usually pushes the share prices up or down a little bit too aggressively. And that usually provides you with a good opportunity to buy or sell. Well, Vessel, it's a pleasure catching up with you. Always a fascinated learning from you. Thank you so much from your, for your time this afternoon. That was Vessel Yubair from Oyster Catcher Investments with your Wednesday edition of Stock Picks.